0: Hello podcast listeners, thank you for tuning in today to the InScape Quest podcast show. I am your host, Trudy Howley. Here I am talking with people about how they engage with their relationships, work, and passions. Please subscribe and share this show with a friend and thanks to you, we can grow meaningful conversations together one episode at a time. Peter Cater is a two-time Grammy-winning composer. Along with his solo piano improvisations, throughout his career, he's enjoyed collaborating with many other artists. Peter has recorded over 60 albums and created film and television soundtracks. In this conversation, I get a glimpse into Peter's great love for the creative process, how he engages with self-exploration, his audience, and we learn about his passion for the natural environment. Peter, I'm really excited to get to have this conversation with you today, so thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: I first met you, came across your music when I came to one of your concerts and I lay under your piano while you were playing. And that was such Mm -hmm. an extraordinarily profound experience for me. I'm curious, where did you get the idea for having audience members lie underneath your piano as you played?
1: It just kind of happened organically. Actually, I was uh, holding a some retreats in Hawaii and uh, as part of the retreat, we would go over to my house and, uh, you know, it'd be like, I don't know how many people, I think we had 10 or 12 people, you know, people would sit around on the floor around the piano as I played and and then gradually, you know, people just got closer and closer. And then one person was just like, I'm just getting under the damn thing, you know? (laughs) And uh, so it became a thing, you know, where, you know, people were like, oh, I want to get under there next, you know? And then people started talking about, you know, how cool the experience was. And then I started to have a sense that I felt like, am I playing differently depending on who's under the piano? You know, I was like, wow, this feels really interesting. What would it feel like if I just had one person under the piano at a time? And so I started exploring it more consciously. It's interesting.
0: So I know one of your Grammy winning albums was born out of having people lie under your piano.
1: Yeah I was uh, so I started doing these these one-on-one I call, I call them piano readings where you know I'll have a person come over, we talk for a little bit about what's going on in their lives and we just keep talking until I get a very strong, starting point impression as to like how, what I would play for this person. I I just need to know like, what's the melody, what's the feeling, what's the initial key signature, you know, enough to start. Once I have like a very clear impression of how to start, then I'll have them lie under the piano and then I'll improvise just for them for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. And I started doing a bunch of these. And at one point I realized that I had, I had over a hundred, you know, maybe even close to 200 of these recorded readings that, Some of them were actually really, really good musically. I mean, not to say that they all aren't good. They all are what they're supposed to be, but some of them were more enjoyable to listen to than others for me as an artist. And so I started going through them and I picked out, I think, 10 pieces and then I picked out my favorite sections of those pieces And I made them into an album because I thought the music is good. You know, I should, people should be able to listen to this and download it or buy it if they want. I released a record and that was the record of that where I won my first Grammy. And it was, it was just solo piano improvisations. It was very rewarding to get a Grammy for, for that because it wasn't like, you know, a record that I produced with other musicians and had a big budget, production budget for, and, was trying to you know make a great record it was just something that kind of happened naturally and organically and there was no production involved it was just me improvising off the top of my head and so it was it was a nice way to win a Grammy after I think at that time 13 12 nominations and no wins
0: so with two wins bookending those nominations (laughs) How do you envisage working forward in terms of continuing to find your purest expression as a composer?
1: Yeah, so I just finished a project that I produced for a friend of mine who's a vocalist, and um, that record turned out really well. And I just, I literally just finished. And so now I'm in the part of my process where I'm recharging, kind of entering what I would call the void of unknowing you know it's like I I have this belief through experience that everything all creativity comes out of of, out of darkness out of the void out of nothing out of the womb you know the empty womb I already have some ideas of what I want to do next nothing that I want to talk about or even act on yet you know I'm just kind of waiting until I feel like I have that sense of like I have to start now Mm. you know I enjoy the downtime to tell you the truth. I I really do. I I enjoy just kind of being in nature and having days with no agenda, you know, where I can just kind of re-explore myself, my inner world, you know, which might sound kind of trendy, but I actually spend hours every day doing that. What, you know, who am I today? Well, how, you know, like because I don't I don't assume that I'm the same person that I was yesterday or a week ago or a year ago in some ways that my at my core possibly I am but everything floating around that is always shifting I think it's important to to be curious about who we are today
0: yeah I love that you say that and wondering when you talk about composing is it always about evoking emotion or exploration, is that what drives your compositions?
1: I think what drives my compositions or my improvisations is, again, that, that question of, like, you know, what do I feel right now? Like, what best expresses where I'm at right now? Or, and or, what do I need to hear or want to hear that will bring more fullness or wholeness to my experience? I hardly ever go to the piano just because I enjoy playing. <laughs> I almost always go to the piano because I need to, you know, because I have to, because I want to, I have to work through something or I, I want to explore something or I'm curious about something. So uh, honestly, you know, I sometimes I'll, I won't play the piano for, for weeks at a time. Depending on like this period right now, where I'm in right now, I I don't anticipate playing the piano very much at all. I'll do do my Facebook Live concerts and my little intimate home concerts and piano readings as a way of staying connected. For my own self and my own private time, I will probably just try to be out in nature.
0: That sounds a great way to recharge and wait for this creative expression to come through the void. And I know that you have great respect for the environment. If one feels that music is a way of praising and calling, do you feel like you're calling for something bigger than yourself?
1: Yeah, that's definitely part of the process of trying to figure out who I am today and, you know, where is my. Where is my connection? I have to say that probably feeling connected to something, either to myself or to the universe or God, whatever you want to call it, or even to someone else is probably the highest priority.
0: Is there anything in the external environment like culture or politics, does that ever come into your music or is it always an internal experience for you?
1: It's always an internal experience for me, and I have to say that culture and politics and the world is probably in direct conflict to what it is that I'm trying to do, (laughs) especially especially these days. It's like, you know, oh, my God. Have you
0: ever, ever had a period of
1: what's traditionally called writer's block? I do have those periods all the time, but I don't interpret them as writer's block or even as there being something wrong. I just simply don't feel creative, and I don't argue with it. I don't make it a problem. I'm like, fine, I'll go out for lunch. Fine, I'll like I said, I'll go into nature. Fine, I'll I'll do something else. So I don't have an agenda, you know. And maybe it's because I'm already prolific. I mean, I can I can honestly say without an ego that I am prolific because I've written over a thousand songs I've recorded over 70 records and 100 tv and film scores you know and it feels like nothing to me it's effortless and so I don't really worry about it anymore I mean maybe earlier in my career when I was in my 20s I'd be like oh I finished an album and now I don't feel creative and I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to do another album again I I was there but through experience I realized that that's just a natural process that's just what happens I like comparing it to, but I do like the comparison of the womb and the darkness and, you know, the waiting and, uh, you know, and this, the, the growth and the birth and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a really beautiful comparison.
0: As we think about the idea of creativity from almost nothingness... But spaciousness, and then bringing it to life, and that process is somewhat torturous. <laughs> what happens if somebody <laughs> somebody somewhat asks torturous. you? <laughs> what if somebody asks you for a composition? Is that a piece you've already done, or would you have to create
1: something? Well, that's just it. I have such faith in my creative process that. If someone asks me for a composition or someone says, can you write the music for this thing or whatever, I have no doubt that I'll have what I need to do it. It's almost like I just put in a request, you know, to myself. It's like I need to have a song by Friday and I'll wait until Friday if I have to. I'm not like sitting down at the piano on Monday, you know, trying to create a song. I wait until I have the song. I wait until I know what I have it. You know, it's like it's a recognition that happens inside myself where like, oh, that's what it is. And then I'll go and work on it. But I won't sit down at the piano and screw around with melodies and see if this feels good or this or that. It's a very, very intuitive process for me, which, again, I love. I, just love, I love approaching creativity from that perspective.
0: I'm enjoying hearing you talk about the creative process because to me it just sounds it's so present it's like just the present moment that then moves through you and that sounds so beautiful as a way of living. When did you first start composing?
1: When I was a teenager um, I was classically classically trained from the age of six and I hated Class, playing classical music. I loved listening to it on occasion, but I didn't like playing it because it's just so structured and so specific. It left no room for me to be myself. So when I was a teenager and I finally started learning how to improvise and play music that I actually enjoyed, like all the popular music of the time, I also started exploring writing my own stuff because it just seemed like a natural next step. Then my mother passed of cancer when I turned 18, and that kind of set me free. I mean, obviously, it was a traumatic experience, but she had it for two years. And so when she finally passed, it was like a relief, you know, because she suffered quite a bit. And that set me free because I had no ties to try to be anyone for anyone else. I was an only child. My father left when I was very young. Uh, no no other immediate family. My grandparents were in Germany, and, uh, you know, and I was in New Jersey. So I just kind of like, I just kind of shot off into the world and I hitchhiked around the country for a year and a half. I put in like 30,000 miles on the road in a year and a half. I was, I was reacting to sort of a tumultuous childhood and also kind of searching for who I am, you know, away from that experience. And in that process, I discovered... Uh, some musicians like Keith Jarrett and the group Oregon and the Paul Winter consort and their style of improvising and just playing together off the top of their heads was just amazing to me. And, and so it prompted like a six year period of just improvising. I didn't want to play any structured songs at all, even if it was pop music and music that I loved, I just was improvising, improvising like five nights a week, four hours a night in different clubs and, restaurants and bars.
0: Through. So I believe in your earlier career that you had a couple of encounters with Allen
1: Ginsberg. Yeah, it was kind of a coincidence, you know, because back in early Boulder, and the, this was the late 70s, you know, Boulder was very grassroots. The Naropa Institute was was like a two-room office above what is now Hapa Sushi on Pearl Street, which was the New York deli. And, you know, the Rolf Institute wasn't even here yet. There was a lot of grassroots, uh, like organizations like Hakomi, Ridwan School, you know, all everything was very, see Trimpa Rinpoche, you know, wandering around the streets of Boulder, you know, drunk on sake. Old Boulder was ridiculously cool. There was, there was a kind of energy where if you were innovative and motivated, you could make things happen. It wasn't that hard. There was a lot of potential, you know. So these, uh, this friend of mine and I, there was this restaurant that was not doing very well. And it was sort of like it was off the mall, but it was a downstairs basement location. And we thought, well, we should bring some music and we should like, you know, we should turn this little boring restaurant into like a happening kind of scene, you know. Call it uh, arts cafe. We would, you know, we would play there. I would play. I'll, I'll, I'll give my friend credit. His name is Brian Golden. We got a piano down there, an upright piano. We had guitarists come in. We would do jam sessions. People would sit around and drink coffee and have sandwiches and, you know, that kind of thing. Word got around, and and so Allen Ginsberg comes in. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like to tell you the truth, I didn't. I didn't really know what an important figure he was, you know, at the time or or even, you know, or, or would become even. He was like, yeah, I'm, like, I'm going to read my poetry. You can, you, you want to play with me, you know? And so we'd be like, sure, you know, because that was exactly the kind of thing we were looking for, you know, something really innovative. And so he'd be reading his poetry and, you know, I'd be improvising, playing the piano. Those kinds of things happened quite a bit. Again, a very ripe, interesting time, you know
0: certainly sounds an interesting time
1: and I, you know I just want to add to that what I just said because I want to be clear about it it wasn't like we were entrepreneurs it wasn't like we had money and we wanted to make things happen and we invested it wasn't like that we had nothing we were living in attic unfinished attics and sleeping and you know in the foothills at times I mean we were a group of artists where we really we were like we had nothing you know, I, I had, you know, maybe two two pairs of jeans at the most and half the time I had no place to live, you know. But we we wanted to do these things because it was creative and fun and something to do. It wasn't like these days in Boulder where it's like, well, let's put a business plan together and uh, let's think this through and do some research. It wasn't like that. It was very much like by the seat of our pants, if that's the correct expression.
0: When was the first time that you got paid for a piece of music that you created yourself?
1: I know exactly when it was. I had been playing all around, you know, like I said, Boulder and Denver. I was making $50 a night to play for four hours. You know, it's, it's really not a whole lot better these days. You know, the average musician, gigging musician around town makes, you know, 150 or maybe $200 a night playing for four hours. It's nothing, you know. And then I recorded my first album, which an investor paid for. And I'm not including that as being paid to write music. That was like uh, just sort of a next step in my career. First time I got a phone call, it was from this uh, guy named Marty Stauffer who had a TV show, PBS TV show called Wild America. And somehow he had heard my album and he wanted me to write some music for his TV shows, uh, which I wound up doing dozens of them. But the first one, he was kind of sheepish. He was kind of like, "Well, you know, if you could do the music, and uh, we don't have much of a budget because it's, you know, it's PBS and blah blah blah, but we could pay you, you know, five hundred dollars a minute." What? <laughs> five hundred dollars for a minute of music? I, I was like, you know, of course I was cool. I was like, "Yeah, that'll be okay." But inside, I'm like, "Oh my god, like, what just happened?" You know, and he wanted eight to 11 minutes of music per 30 minute program.
0: So I know you have a teenager in the house and I'm wondering if your teenager invites you to listen to any of his music and if there's anything that you enjoy right now that might be out of your normal range of listening.
1: Yes, he does that all the time and I encourage him to do that and I love that. He could drive in my car and just drive around for an hour or two while he plays me all his current. And of course, his turn, he's turned me on to music that normally I would never have listened to if I wasn't trying to understand it and see it from his perspective. come to really enjoy since then uh, groups like uh, the Boyd's, the Strokes, uh, Queens of the Stone Age, Interpol, which is not a new group. I mean, they've been around for 20 years, but they wouldn't have been on my radar normally. And yeah, well, I took him to see Interpol at Red Rocks in the friggin snow i was like are you sure you want to go do this it was like march or sorry april or something you know i was like are you sure you want to go because i'm not a cold weather fan i don't like snow yeah we went up
0: you just said you don't like the cold and i know you spend a significant amount of your time in maui do you feel you're more creative in one place or the other
1: no, but it's a different kind of creativity in one place or the other. And that's very apparent in my music. If you listen to the albums that I wrote and produced in Colorado, they are very different than the albums that I created in Hawaii. Hawaii is a much softer, fluid kind of energy. It's very feminine. You know, Hawaii for me is all about improvisation and I don't know, just very spacious and flowing and. All the music I've done there has been that way there. I, I don't think I've hardly written any compositions there. Whereas here in Boulder, it has become really largely about compositions and songwriting. And I play things very specifically. If you would care to look at my two albums of mine that won Grammys, Dancing on Water was all about Hawaii. And it was very fluid. And you can hear it in the opening, the first 30 seconds of the album. It's like, wow, this is just fluid, you know. And then you listen to my album Wings, which I didn't even really, this is the first time I realized that Dancing on Water is about water and Wings is about air. Wings is very structured. Every single song on there is a composition and I can play every single song on there. And it's very structured. And I think they're equally beautiful, if I can say that, but in very different ways. You know, Colorado is very masculine. You know, the energy here is very structured about climbing peaks and challenging yourself and pushing yourself there's a sense of wanting to accomplish and succeed here whereas in Hawaii it's more like you just want to melt and just be present and not think about any of those things that I would think about in Colorado
0: (laughs) I love that you've made the connection between the air and water
1: I'm fascinated I love the elements I mean, I'm definitely a pagan at heart. I've done several albums. I did a whole series on the elements for a a record label called Real Music, and the album titles are Earth, Air, Fire, and Water. And then uh, I did another album in Hawaii that was on the elements, but I called it Wind, Rock, Sea, and Flame.
0: So if we were to hear some music right now, which which would be something you would like to share with the listeners?
1: Oh, okay. Well, I think it would be interesting to do what I just said, you know, like play the title track to my Dancing on Water CD and just listen to how fluid that is. And then in comparison, play a song from my Wings album, like uh, Wings of Love. Mm ¶¶
0: We hoped you enjoyed the depth in Peter's compositions and his piano artistry there, and his two Grammy Award winning compositions, Dancing on Water, followed by Wings of Love. So, as you think about your music being a multi sensory way of expressing yourself, are you creative in other ways in your
1: life? Yeah, so, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, so I've definitely. You know, been able to notice my patterns, and uh, I I do notice that when I'm not working on a project, I really enjoy cooking more, and I like to, you know, spend uh, time doing it. Uh, You know, I'll spend an hour or two, maybe even three, you know. But when I, I find that when I'm working on an album or a project, I I just eat to just fulfill my hunger. Tried painting, but it's not my thing. Uh, And I enjoy food is high priority for me as far as like quality of life.
0: When you have your retreats in Maui or in Montana, is food a big part of the retreat as well as the music?
1: It is to varying degrees, depending on what's available. Like if I do a retreat on Maui, food's a huge part of it because there is great access to not only great restaurants, but also great chefs and so I will hire a full-time chef to cook for the week and, you know, come up with the menu, and it's very good. In Montana, it's a little harder because, uh, you know, there's not as much access to extraordinary restaurants or chefs, and the food is really good, but it's not as much a focus.
0: What does a retreat look like for your guests?
1: The idea is that they come in and they leave their their world behind and they, and they step into this new world that I could say is my world, but it's also just like a world that I create, you know, and all their needs are taken care of. I provide all the structure, all the nutrients we, we could say, you know, and the schedule and the music. And I just think of like, what would be really fun? Like what would be really cool? Like how could I create a space where people feel safe enough to just really drop into deeper levels of their their transparency, their authenticity, their expression, their vulnerability, you know? And I don't push very hard for that. I just set up a little structure of like breaking into small groups and we have to answer these questions and based on authentic relating um, and intimacy building and trust building where we just, you know, questions are anything from, you know, what's the first childhood memory you have and how did you feel about it? to what did you firmly believe that you now see was misguided. Light questions to deeper questions. And it's important to have a nice balance of easy questions and harder questions. And it just brings people into talking about things that they didn't even know that they wanted to talk about. And then what happens is, is that we begin to see we aren't so different from each other. Behind all the different careers and different body types and presentation and belief systems even there is a very authentic human being that we're moved by seeing and we're also moved by being seen and then we mix that with beautiful nature and my music and guest musicians and You know, three meals a day provided for us lovingly. It's very, very interesting. Doing a concert is one thing and playing for people for a half hour or two hours is is one thing. But building a relationship over a week is beautiful.
0: It sounds incredibly nourishing and very organically therapeutic. I'm struck by how that's very parallel to your own organic process of letting this creativity of composing arise in you. So I really love this whole transformative view for others and yourself as you immerse yourself in your work. A very special process to be a part of to include your audience so much. Quite a gift. Thank you so
1: much. It was an absolute delight. Yeah, thank you too. I actually found it very enjoyable because like I don't know if I would have answered those questions that way yesterday. Like I said before <laughs> or a week ago. You know, it's <laughs> like we're it's it's an interesting practice you know to just like really just be present with where you are if we approach our day we walk out into the world and if we don't approach it as if we're exploring exploring it afresh every day how boring is that thank you for listening
0: to the inscape quest podcast with trudy howley If you like this show and want to send questions or submit topics you'd like to hear about on your podcast, you can find me on Instagram at InScapeQuest. Thank you for listening and for your shares, subscriptions and downloads. Cheerio.